Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I am Teddy Schleifer, filling in for Peter Hamby this week. It's Thursday, March 24, and on today's show, we're joined by Julia Yaffe to talk about her latest reporting on the war in the Ukraine. Julia has spent the last couple of weeks doing a series of interviews, and the most recent is with a guy named Jean-Michel Charbach, who's spearheading a sort of David and Goliath cause on educating generations of Russians about what's really going on in Ukraine. We'll hear more about that on today's episode of The Powers That Be. So we're here on The Powers That Be with Julia. Hey, Teddy. Uh, it's cool to have you in the host chair. Let me just start with, uh, at a human level, uh, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, I'm just running on fumes at this point, fighting a bit of a cold, which you can probably hear in my voice. But, you know, all things considered, my house is still standing, hasn't been blown up by a Russian shell, unlike a lot of Ukrainian people, unlike my Moscow friends, I'm still in my house. I didn't have to flee with, you know, like one suitcase and know that I'm never coming back. So all things considered, I'm much better than a lot of people in the region that I'm originally from. Julia has been doing a series of interviews that I've found fascinating with sort of ordinary people. I mean, they're not ordinary people in in the sense of the real meaning of of ordinary, but um, they're not famous. Um, You know, they're advisors to people like Joe Biden on, on, on Russia and on Ukraine. They are academics who have insight into kind of what regular people are feeling. And Julia, you have this story today. Um, it's Wednesday, an interview with a guy by the name of Jean-Michel Sherbach. Um, I have been, Julia and I did a few dry runs before, before <laughs> taping. Uh, Jean-Michel Sherbach. Very good. Very good. Tell me about this guy and, and why you wanted to interview him. I'm glad you have found these series of interviews interesting and what I've been trying to do is, you know, these are the people I'm turning to and 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 asking for, you know, what do they think and trying to get a, a sense of how they see things. And at some point I just kind of figured, well, why don't I just give my readers, you know, passenger side seat as I'm talking to these people? Because, you know, some of these people I've known forever, but I'm also, the interviews are very revelatory to me because the situation is so new and Russia especially has become such a black box now that independent media shut down, now that foreign journalists have basically all fled and a lot of my friends have just fled. So to me, it's, um, I'm learning through these uh, Q&As right along with the reader. This most recent one is with a young man named Jean-Michel Sherbach. He is an actor and a model, and he is the boyfriend of a friend of mine in Moscow. And my friend started dating him after my last trip to Moscow. And I have been meaning to come back, but then the pandemic happened and it was really, really bad in Russia. And then now the war. So I never actually got to meet this person. But I started following him on Instagram and, you know, we would occasionally like kind of exchange highs as he would wander through the back of a FaceTime as I would, you know, catch up with my friend. So I started following him and he is 
you know, a very handsome man. He is uh, what we call a black Russian. His mother is Russian and his father is from Africa. And there are a lot of these biracial Russians because of the Soviet Union's soft power efforts to project power into the third world. And there were a lot of exchange students from Cuba, from Angola, from Ethiopia, from Nigeria, from Vietnam, in uh, Afghanistan. And Jean-Michel's Instagram was just this island of positivity, always um, of beautiful travel, of some of his modeling shoots, him going to really cool parties in Moscow. And it was just like, for me, this kind of vicarious escape into the Beaumont of, of Moscow. And then when the war started, it radically changed. And I saw Jean-Michel post about his mother and he posted screenshots of messages that she had sent him, calling him a traitor to the motherland and disowning him. And then he started posting more and more about this, about either his mother or people like his mother who were basically just gobbling up Putin's propaganda hook, line, and sinker, and parroting back what they hear about the war, and Jean-Michel trying to dismantle these lies and falsehoods bit by bit. And I was like, this is interesting. And then I saw he started um, a Telegram channel when Instagram was shut down in Russia. And I just thought it felt so familiar to me because of what we saw with during the Trump years with QAnon, right? We saw so many people lose family members to this kind of cult and it broke up family relationships and friendships. And I don't know about you, but I heard and read and watched so many stories about people trying to get their loved ones back. And I was like, wow, now it's happening in Russia because of this war. And I wanted to explore that with him. Do you feel like he is succeeding? You write here that, you know, he's perhaps the most unlikely dissident hero in the current crisis. I wonder, and maybe other folks listening are wondering, to be a hero, do you have to be successful? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this is, I think you say it's a a slingshot effort against a massive propaganda machine whose power he knows so well. So, So in this David and Goliath story, is this admirable but futile? Or is there any sign that stuff like this can work? I think yes and no. It just depends on the scale. I'm First of all, it's only been a month and I, and according to him and I, you know, I believe him, he has gotten through to some people. His mother is lost. So some people he's gotten through to others. He has heard from people who have said, you know, thank you for giving me this ammunition so I can fight this fight with my friend or my family member. Some of it, I think to a large extent, I think he's doing this for himself. Mm. This is my reading of it. I think some of it is to feel like he is doing something to help. I think so many Russians like him who don't like Vladimir Putin, who think he is leading the country to ruin, who are vehemently against this war and are horrified by it on a level that you and I are probably not horrified by because they really have ties on both sides of the border and it is their country doing it. I think for people like Jean-Michel and other other friends of mine, it's important to feel like they're doing something for themselves, whether it's successful or not, just to feel less helpless. And I think a lot of them feel 
guilty and tarred by association. The first week of the war, I called an old childhood friend and was talking to her husband who works at Gazprom, who works at, you know, the big state gas company. And he said, the Germans have been apologizing for what their country did 80 years ago and are still apologizing to this day. And that's going to be us now. Our grandchildren will be apologizing for this 80 years from now. Mm. And among a section of Russian society, people really feel this way. They are horrified and feel guilty and helpless. And I think people are dealing with this in different ways. And this is seems to be Jean-Michel's way. Julia, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and I want to ask you a few more questions about Russia and where things are and broaden out a little bit. Julia, I want to ask you some more questions about, about the war in general in a minute, but, but final thing on, on, on John Michel's story. Tell me where things are, at least with his mom. I mean, um, this could be uh, a story that is told through the lens of millions of people in, in the world right now, but sometimes it's kind of interesting just to focus on one kind of mother-son relationship. Tell me where things are between them as of now. So Jean Michel's mom is a Soviet person. She was born in the Soviet Union and she had a very privileged life as far as Soviet life goes. Mm -hmm. And she lived really well. She and her family lived really well in the Soviet Union. And that all kind of came apart in the 1990s. She has become a very fervent supporter of Vladimir Putin. She is very religious and very active in the Russian Orthodox Church, which is also very intertwined with the Kremlin and is this kind of personally, I think force of darkness and revanchism. They're not talking anymore. She blocked him on various messengers and social media. She told him that, that he's a traitor to the motherland and a Russophobe and that she doesn't want to have anything to do with him anymore, which is, I mean, it's why for a mother to do that with her child because of politics. Again, we've seen that story so many times here in the States. It was interesting to see it happening there in the war. People who are older are generally the people in Russia who watch TV. And that is the hmm. most tightly held informational medium in, in, in Russia. It was the thing. It was clearly number one on Putin's agenda when he became president was to take control of the TV. He was obsessed with it. And that's why you know, what Jean-Michel is doing is is, is such a, a challenge, right, to that stranglehold on media, right? I mean, again, the title of this piece is Hacking Through Putin's Media yeah. Cults. He was successful at doing that. And that's even before what we've seen over the last year or so, right? Right. Like if Jean-Michel could just get on TV and communicate with his audience, this would be, very, would be a very, very different and easier story. Right. And nobody can. But people his generation, nobody watches TV. Right. They're just like us to some extent. Yeah. They watch a lot of YouTube. You know, they're all on social media. Julia, we could go on about this for hours. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, you know, that's what makes these interviews you're doing. It gives you a snapshot of one person's life. And I find this relatable in a way. And I think other people, in a way that you probably, again, don't probably appreciate just because you talk with people like John Michel, maybe not John Michel exactly, but people like him, I'm assuming every day. And for us, we only get, kind of what, what you share with us at Puck. And well, I want to push back on that a little bit because like I, um, you know, I'm on 
Twitter all day and like reading all these, you know, and the New York Times and the Post and the BBC and CNN and like seeing what's going on with the war and what people are talking about. And I'm kind of answering my own questions here. And I think that, A, I'm really glad that I can do this at Puck because I don't, you know, I don't know that at other media organizations I could, but I'm kind of just like bringing all of you guys along with me while I'm learning because I'm like, okay, I see this discussion happening on Twitter, like about the Russian tanks and, you know, do the Ukrainians need a no-fly zone or do they need more javelins? And then there are certain questions where I'm like, well, nobody's talking about this or nobody's answering this question for me. And I, I have this question and then I'll call somebody or, or message somebody that I think could answer it for me. And then I'm like, oh, wait, let me just, let's just do this as a and a Because if I have this question, I'm sure other people right. have this question too. Right. I mean, that's a very natural approach to what makes you a good reporter is someone who just is curious, right? Uh, um, um, but we just don't have access to those people. That's just the challenge, right? Um, you know, especially at a time when it seems like, you know, there's just fewer American reporters who um, are even in Russia right now. Um, and we're glad you're doing it. So there's so much more to unpack here with Julia. So in a powers that be daily, first, we're going to turn this into a two-part episode. More with Julia tomorrow, where I ask her kind of the big question, at least on my mind and maybe on yours too, what happens next? Come back tomorrow for that. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck Now Daily. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for all their editorial and production help. If you like what you hear, please share us with a friend. It really helps us deliver all the goods we have here at Puck. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Teddy Schleifer. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 